Well, we're continuing our study this morning of Luke's gospel. And so we are going to be in chapter 18, starting at verse 9. If you missed the email or or can't find it for the sermon outline, there is a link to it right in the chat window in Zoom. Click chat at the bottom of the screen to open it up, and there's a link. You can click that to take you right over to the sermon outline. Bibles and pens and outlines uh, are available to you if you just raise your hand, and there's a nursery uh, just outside the door uh, and and across the hall, uh, just trying to practice for when we're getting back, you know, these muscles, we need to, to stretch them so they don't get too atrophied. Sometimes we don't know where to look for things. Erin recently lost her cell phone and she asked me to call it so it would ring. She had accidentally closed it up in a, a three ring binder uh, and put it on a bookshelf And if the battery had died, we probably never would have found it. I'm not exactly sure when exactly that binder would have been pulled back off the shelf. Sometimes we just don't know where to look for things. But Jesus doesn't want you to have to wonder where to spot his kingdom at work. The religious people of his day asked him in last week's passage in Luke, uh, they asked him when the kingdom of God would come. And he declared that it was already present among them. It was something they could see and touch if only they had eyes for it. And he continues fleshing out that answer today. We're in chapter 18 of Luke, and we're going to start at verse 9. So you can start to find your way there. Jesus continues fleshing out that answer today by giving us eyes to see the kingdom right in front of us. Jesus came from heaven to reunite heaven with earth once and for all. And he doesn't want you to think that his kingdom is something only for another life or another plane of existence after you die and hopefully go to heaven. He wants you to see and grasp his kingdom right here, right now. You have only to learn how to spot it. And everything else that bothers you or distresses you or tugs at your desires and clamps you to this place, all of that will quickly lose its value, and therefore it will lose the hold it has over you in favor of something far more satisfactory and satisfying. So how can you spot the kingdom of God? It's not difficult to see as long as you know where to look. Yet some people, sadly, will never be able to see it, no matter how hard they try. On your outline, you can see that the kingdom of God is present among those who humble themselves, among those who receive it like a child, and among those who leave some things so they can gain everything. Let me pray for us again as we prepare to to read and study God's word. Our Father in heaven, please help us. As we study your word, give us eyes to see your kingdom. Help us to spot the Lord Jesus and where and how he is at work. Strengthen us now, we pray, that we could see him so that we may love him and that we might be mastered by nothing else but our most benevolent master, the Lord Jesus. Help us now by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So first this morning, we're going to see that, that uh, you can spot God's kingdom among those who humble themselves. Now, where we are in Luke, uh, at the end of last week's text, Jesus just finished telling a parable about the one who receives justice and vindication from God. It's the person who always prays in faith and doesn't lose heart. Now, Jesus follows that up with another parable. Here's where we pick it up today in verse 9. Here's another parable about what that sort of person trusts in. Here's what gives them that faith to pray. Let's, let me read verses 9 through 14. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this story is so straightforward and simple. It ought to be disarming. The person whom everyone would expect to be right with God is not. And the person that people expect to be far from God goes home justified. Justified in verse 14. That means he went home right with God. The difference between them is not their outward behavior or their religious observance. In verse 10, both of them have gone up to the temple to pray. Okay, so they're both doing the same thing, the same set of rituals, the same activity here. The difference is all about what they trust in. And Luke sets this up in verse 9 by telling us that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. And they treated others with contempt. So that's the difference is what they trust in. In verse 11, we see that the Pharisee, the religious guru, he trusts in himself that he is righteous. And he he thanks God that he is not like other men. And in, in verse 12, he does God the favor of reminding God of all the things that he has done for God. I, he says, I fast twice a week, which is a funny thing to say and a funny thing to do because God's law requires fasting only once per year. It's in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 26 through 32. So this guy wants God to know he's gone above and beyond, way above and beyond. He fasts twice a week. And also he goes on to say that, that he gives a tenth That's what a tithe means. He gives 10% of everything that he gets. And again, that's interesting because God's law in the old covenant requires the tithe only of grain, fruit, and livestock, not of every single thing you ever get. That's in Leviticus 27 verse 30. 
that that is spelled out. You see, this guy believes that God's standards aren't enough. He has gone above and beyond, and this gives him a self-appointed right to compare himself to others. Again, verse 11, I am not like these others. Now, think about this today. A lot of people might not boast about fasting twice a week or giving uh, giving 10% of everything that they get. But we have all kinds of things that, that we trust in, perhaps that, that might make us righteous, things that are not required by God's law, we, where we go above and beyond. Oh God, I pray before every meal, and especially in public. Oh God, I read my Bible every day. Oh God, I haven't robbed any convenience stores or used any racial slurs in my entire life. I don't say any bad words at all, and I always eat organic. Now, these things are all really great things to do or to avoid doing. But, but friends, the kingdom of God is not present in such activities. At least it's no more present in those places than it is anywhere else. And the person who meets all of these criteria might still not even know Christ. The parable's punchline comes at the end of verse 14, the last sentence where Jesus says that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if you exalt yourself now, and compare yourself to others, the day will come when you will be humbled by God. He will put you in your place, and it won't be pretty. But if you humble yourself now, and you simply beg for his mercy, as we see with this tax collector in verse 13, beating his breast breast, and just, just asking for mercy, the day will come when you will be exalted by God. He will put you in Jesus's place and you will live and reign with him forever. So friends, please learn to spot God's kingdom. It is not necessarily present where people are on their best behavior. It is present when people refuse to trust in themselves that they are righteous. And so they rely on God alone to show them mercy. It is a precious thing to find and to join such a community. If your small group that meets together uh, after church, if it focuses primarily on correcting every mistake, on being sure to identify who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in our culture or in the broader Christian world even, and let's get all this lined up, make sure we're on the right side. Or if it, your group focuses on keeping a social distance of at least six feet, you know, with respect to spiritual and emotional vulnerability toward one another then watch out. This is not what God's kingdom ought to look like. But if you find a community where a group of sinners know how much they need Jesus and they freely confess their weakness and their failure and they cast themselves on Jesus for his mercy and they help one another limping toward the cross of Christ, then you have found something more precious than gold. The kingdom of God is present among you. Do not allow it to escape your grasp. This sounds so undignified though, doesn't it? What about the power and the respect of tradition? What about 
church offices? Or what about spiritual power? And what about the sophistication and influence that ought to come from being the people of God seeking to influence the world? Uh, that's he helps us with that next can you spot the kingdom of god it is present second among those who receive it like a child verses 15 through 17 now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them and when the disciples saw it they rebuked them but Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This story, again, is, is so simple. It, it ought to be disarming. It's so straightforward. The people who have been trained personally by Jesus... They attempt to rebuke these, these parents for bringing their babies, their infants to Jesus, and their rebuke is overridden. It's overruled by Jesus. Uh, those are the ones who've been trained personally by him. And the people who were too immature and childish, who were seen as too immature and childish to be granted access, they are granted access to the kingdom of God. It's amazing. Sometimes people think you need to pass a test in order to become a Christian, or you even you need to take a class, or you need to get a certain pedigree of experience under your belt, or you need to reach a certain threshold of theological insight. But Jesus says that all you need to become a Christian is to receive the kingdom. In other words, you have to want to be in it. You have to understand you need it. You have to trust that it's what's best for you. And you have to trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Maybe you can't explain all the ins and outs. Maybe you can't defend everything in a debate just yet. Maybe you can't give a snappy response to your snippy relatives who distrust what you're getting yourself into. But Jesus says in verse 17, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. All you need to do is receive it like a child. You need to know that you can't get in to see God unless Jesus makes it possible. And so you rely on him to get it done for you. Just like a little baby relies on its mother to keep feeding it when it cries. In verse 16, Jesus says, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, if you find a community where people cling to Jesus, needing him every hour, and they have nothing to defend and no excuses to make, and they don't know what all the fuss is about when people attack them for being simpletons, then you have found something precious. Please do not allow it to escape your grasp. I pray that our church would continue to be a place like this. Now, this doesn't mean that our faith ought to be childish. We are constantly pressing on to maturity in the fear of the Lord. What it does mean is that our faith ought always to be childlike, never failing to fall completely on the person and work of Jesus Christ as our only hope. If he fails us, we have absolutely nothing left to us. All our eggs are in his Easter basket. 
because if Easter didn't happen, if he didn't rise from the dead, we are to be seriously more pitied than any other group of people in the history of people who deserve pity. Now, how does Jesus and Luke, how does he trust such, I'm sorry, how does he want to show us that such trust plays out in day-to-day life? How do you know whether you have this childlike faith, whether you are receiving the kingdom of God like a child? How does that play out when we've got mortgages and career paths and stock markets and home repairs to manage, where we've got parents and neighbors and employers to please? What does this look like? Can you spot the kingdom of God? It is present not only uh, among those who humble themselves and among those who receive it like a child, but also, finally, you can spot it among those who leave some things in order to gain everything. Those who leave some things in order to gain everything. Let me read verses 18 through 30. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Once again, friends, this story is, is really quite simple that, and straightforward that it ought to be disarming. The guy who, who has everything ends up with nothing. And those who gave up a few things gain everything in the end. Notice how this Jewish ruler really cares about God's kingdom. He is not a wicked man. The question that is keeping him up late at night, verse 18, is what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in the the ancient Jewish mindset, eternal life was not about uh, disembodied spiritual existence. It was about when is the kingdom of God coming? When is the unbreakable kingdom of God that gives us the more fuller life over the other nations of the world? When is that going to come? And what do I have to do to inherit that? So when you hear that phrase, eternal life, don't, don't think of it like a modern. He, he's not asking about 
the disembodied bliss after he dies. He's asking about how to join the feast in the resurrection with Abraham, the feast of God's divine intervention during the promised messianic kingdom. And Jesus, he circles back to this guy's question when his uh, when his final promise to his disciple Peter is in verse 30, and in the age to come eternal life. You see, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the last thing Jesus says is, well, here's how you get it. It's by giving up some stuff now so that you can get it. So Jesus explains that those who participate in his kingdom, those who will join the feast with Abraham that we've read about in Luke in the last few chapters, they are those who give up some of their stuff in the present. Verse 29, he says, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Verse 30, who will not receive many times more in this time. And in the age to come, they receive eternal life. So those are the people who join the feast. They give up some of their stuff in the present for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, let's not be too hard on this wealthy ruler that Jesus is talking to. His problem is not so much about greed and selfishness. His problem is more about failing to grasp the character of God. And so, you know, we, we feel sad for this guy with Jesus. Uh, and, and see, in verse 19, Jesus had to remind him that no one is good except God alone. No one's good except God alone. You see, this guy certainly believes that he himself is good, but he doesn't grasp the character of God and where goodness lays. And he believes that he's kept the commands of God since he was young in verse 21. And we have no good reason to believe that he's lying or that he's deceived about this. He's probably kept these commands since he was young, but he fails to grasp how God's kingdom works. He's stuck in believing that his wealth is a sign of the blessing of God. He's believing that that his outward wealth must be an indicator of his goodness. You see, I've kept the commands and I've been rewarded with this wealth. And so what what else do I need to do to make sure that I'm not left out of that kingdom? And all Jesus wants, all he wants is for people to need him to need him, Jesus. He wants them to recognize their sickness, their spiritual poverty, to to pray in the temple, head hung in shame, begging God for mercy. He wants them to receive his kingdom the way little babies receive their mother's milk. That's all Jesus wants. But this wealthy ruler believes he already has God's favor because of his own morality and his piety. So yes, one thing we ought to take from this episode is that Jesus is more valuable than all our wealth and all of our relationships. But even beyond that, we ought to see that God's kingdom is not for the deserving, but for the undeserving. The thing we most need to let go of is whatever badges of honor we set up for ourselves to make us think that God is blessing us. Whether that's career advancement or public respect or financial solvency or simply having a lot of friends and not getting made fun of at the playground. 
whatever that is that that we we trust in to make us righteous that we we trust in that we think means that that god has blessed us instead we ought to give up these things in the here and now when called upon to do so you see these things are not the blessing it's jesus who is the blessing and we have these blessings that come along with it of course because uh, you know we do this so that even now we can enter into the blessing of indestructible life of his never ending kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus says, when you give things up for his kingdom, then, then, uh, sometimes he, he returns, you know, verse 30, many times more back in this time. So the point is not that we have to give up everything right now, all of it, give it away. That makes you a better Christian because you can find your righteousness in that. That would make me righteous. The point is that when trusting in Jesus causes me to lose some of these outward blessings, I'm willing to lose it because I know that the Lord can return many times more back when he wants to, if he wants to. And so we, when you walk with him, when you beg his mercy, when you receive him like a little child would receive him, nobody can take away from you the quality of life that he assures you, the indestructible life of his kingdom. So can you see it? Can you see the kingdom of God? If you claim to follow Jesus Christ, please learn to look in the right place for this kingdom. It is not in anxiety-inducing end times speculations. You know, when is that kingdom going to come? What are the signs? What, what's, when's the end coming? This must be it. Coronavirus. Here we go. It's not in those anxiety-inducing speculations. His kingdom, you can't see it in sweet dreams about the heavenly by and by. Let me escape this world and move on to something else. No, his kingdom is right here. Right now, wherever a community of people work together to lay down their defenses and seek the mercy of Christ. Please remain in that place and don't ever let it go. Now, of course, there are parts of scripture that tell us about the fullness of the kingdom coming when Jesus eradicates the overlap. You see, right now we live in the overlap. Jesus' kingdom has come and it overlaps with this present evil age. And we struggle and we suffer. And the day will come when Jesus returns and he eliminates sin and evil once and for all. And the overlap is gone. The present evil age will be gone. And all that remains will be the unshakable kingdom. And we long for that day. But you can spot the presence of that kingdom already. And so when you learn to spot the kingdom among those who humble themselves among those who receive it like children, and among those who leave some things so that they can gain everything, you will finally start to see this world for what it is. It is a transient, fading, and unfruitful plane of existence. And then heaven can break into your life and you find a different set of priorities and you find a different clump of values and aspirations. And you find a treasure and a status that can never be violated or stolen or forcibly removed from you in any way. You are a child of King Jesus. 
and you are now helping him to reunite heaven and earth. This is your eternal life, your indestructible life, participating with him, knowing him in this kingdom. And he will exalt you for having humbled yourself to enter. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who came and taught about your kingdom and brought your kingdom so that we could participate in it. Help us to be able to spot it. Help us not to despair because we're waiting for the kingdom and we're looking to some uncertain future or some spectacular speculations. Uh, But Lord, please help us to see the kingdom present among those who humble themselves, who receive it like children, and among those who leave some things so they can gain everything in the Lord Jesus. Jesus, thank you for making this possible. Thank you for calling us to be your children. Help us to encourage one another in these things, even in our in our small groups and as we go about our lives this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.